Good morning. Welcome to Friday Eve on this Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. Um, if you've got ATT, T-Mobile, Verizon, whatever your cellular provider is, you might want to check. Make sure that things are working on your mobile device because we've got widespread reports of outages across the nation. Perhaps uh, there were 31,000 reported around 4.30 a.m. And this is also impacting 911 service uh services so check that as you're waking up this morning uh going to be interesting to see what the markets do the fed minutes came out yesterday they're much more concerned about inflation and expressing concerns that maybe we haven't made as much progress as we thought we will be watching that uh and on the other front we brought you the story yesterday about a, a landmark decision from the alabama supreme court um we said boy this could have widespread effect consequences and i hate it when we're right Yeah, especially in this case, because the University of Alabama at Birmingham, it's the largest hospital in that state, suspended its IVF treatment so it can consider legal repercussions of the decision. In a statement, it says we are saddened that this will impact our patients attempt to have a baby, but we must evaluate the potential that our patients and our physicians could be prosecuted criminally or face punitive damages for following the standard of care for IVF. And NBC News last night had women who are going through the process at this hospital. And one of them says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just want to be a mom. And it's wild to me that the state that I've called home has more say over that than I do right now. Her name is Abby Crane. And my heart breaks for her. She's in the middle of it. And it's suspended. And she doesn't know yet. I mean, she hasn't been contacted by the hospital. So everything to her is just right now in limbo. Could she take him and go somewhere else? Well, I don't know. What if something happens? Would she be criminally charged? Yeah, exactly. She could take him out of state. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. But can you transport them? Who's going to transport them? Right. Mm-hmm. So just in case you don't know, the IVF involves combining sperm and eggs in a lab to create an embryo and then implanting one or more of those embryos in a person's uterus. And a lot of times it ends up with a baby. 97,000 infants were born in the U.S. using this process, including in my house. That's why right. I feel so yeah. uh, connected to this. And I feel for the women in Alabama and how what a miracle this is for people who want to have a baby. And I got to tell you, of course, now it's become a political issue as well. Uh, Nikki Haley, who was artificially inseminated. I mean, she she's went through used, a process to she, have her son. Yeah, yeah, she's she's used technology for this. Um, and she sounds like she's kind of trying to have it both ways, saying she agrees with the court, but. But when you talk about an embryo, you are talking about, to me, um, that's a life. And so I do see where that's coming from when they talk about that. Do you have concerns about the ways that that could hurt people who are seeking IVF treatment? I think that we have to have those conversations. That's incredibly personal. It's incredibly sensitive. And I think that's the conversation the doctor needs to have with the patient. Let's never underestimate the importance of the relationship between a doctor and patient when they're doing any of that. She's trying to find some middle ground there. But if you're endorsing the Supreme Court decision, you're saying, yes, they're human life. And therefore, when you discard them. Yes, this is has the effect that we thought it might have. And I, I appreciate everyone's opinions on this topic. I'm just coming from a place that this is a miracle and it, it helps people who really want to be parents. It yeah. creates families. It does. Yes. Uh, 97,000 in this country, 500,000 in the world. And here's a little bit of irony for you. What did they announce today in Alabama? They're going to use nitrous oxide again to, to, to for capital to punishment. Capital punishment, <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a different, oh. like, <laughs> spectrum. But, 
we're pro-life. And, and listen, this guy, when you read what he did, he did. He deserves it, but there's just some, as I say, some irony irony there. Uh, Speaking of Nikki Haley, uh, she leads Joe Biden nationally by three points in a Quinnipiac poll. Uh, President Donald Trump leads by four points at this point. So some bad news there for Joe Biden. However, in a new poll here in the state of Michigan that was conducted by Epic MRA, our friend Bernie Porn, uh, Biden continues to trail trail Trump in a head-up matchup 45% to 41%. But interesting there. 14% 14% still undecided. Wow. And so uh, you're going to see, I think, a lot of maneuvering uh, on the part uh, of President Biden. Yesterday we saw him grant uh, some uh, student loan relief to about 153,000 more borrowers. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of <sighs> pandering and also window dressing. It's only 153,000 people. He keeps trying to nibble at the margins. It's likely going to face a legal challenge. Of course. But he can yeah. say to younger voters who are deserting him, mm-hmm. hey, I'm still fighting for you. Yeah. And, exactly uh, and he's now is. also talking about executive action on the border where he would raise the standards for asylum. He keeps talking about it. We haven't seen it yet, but apparently he would lift a provision out of that border bill that failed and try to implement it by executive action. So lots of things going on politically uh, to try to sway your vote. Um, the judge overseeing the upcoming trial of James Crumley has decided to permit the former owner of the weapon involved in the uh, tragic Oxford High School shooting to testify. This decision follows a contentious hearing where the prosecution advocated for two victims of the shooting to also testify, citing their relevance in bolstering the case beyond video evidence. However, the defense countered, arguing that such testimonies could prejudice the jury amidst uh, these de- uh, debates, uh, Crumley's defense team pushed for a change in venue to ensure a fair trial, citing the extensive media coverage surrounding the case and his wife Jennifer's recent conviction on similar charges. Despite these arguments, the issue of venue remains unresolved, leaving the possibility of a local jury trial intact with Jennifer's conviction eliminating the possibility of a plea deal. James Crumley faces an uphill legal battle, according to a, a lot of uh, uh, pundits and the role of the weapon, particularly its condition and storage, emerges as a central focus with the prosecution highlighting its significance in Jennifer's convictor, conviction. However, debates over the relevance of additional witnesses, potential emotional influence on the jury continue. I know James uh, Crumley doesn't want um, his son's journal uh, or his text messages entered into uh, the uh, trial as well. So uh, the decision on witness testimonies and venue changes is uh, resting with uh, Judge Cheryl Matthews at this point. Who cannot have inconsistencies between Jennifer's court record and James's court <laughs> no, record. No, because then there will be appeal. Of yeah, course. This is just such a, it's, it is, it, it's an exercise I know they have to go through, but it, uh, it's, she has to be consistent from one trial to the, to the other. Yeah. Um, U.S. intelligence officials have been able to confirm Israel's reports that United Nations relief workers in Gaza actually participated in the atrocities of October 7th, perhaps as many as a dozen of them. Now, they can't confirm some of the broader claims by Israel, but they do believe that there is evidence of direct participation on the part of United Nations Relief and Works Agency employees. That's why all the countries pulled their funding. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And... Now we have, uh, you know, all of this still coming home to roost here, this terrible division within our community. 
Yeah, um, this happened according to Representative Noah Arbit of West Bloomfield. He released a statement yesterday. That's how I got the information. But the Friends of the Israeli Defense Forces, an organization supporting Israeli soldiers, veterans, and their families, hosted an event on Thursday. It was supposed to take place at Knollwood Country Club, but it was moved to another location due to threats. On Thursday evening, a pro-Palestinian protest mob arrived to Knollwood Country Club, blocked the intersection of Maple Road, and officers from the police department dispersed the crowd. The next morning, according to Arbit, there were messages that read, F-D-I-D-F, I hope you die instead, spray-painted on the club's property. And the graffiti was found by the staff the next morning about 1040. And um, police believe the vandalism occurred anytime after 9 Dale Young of the police department told the Detroit News they're investigating the vandalism and urge anyone with information to contact the department. Disgusting. So they can't make a correlation because no one saw it, but there was a mob, and then the next morning they woke right. up. We the... should point out Noble Country Club, the membership predominantly Jewish. Yes. And, and now facing that when they uh, go to uh, their place. Um, the, uh, mayor of Dearborn pleading his case in one of the largest publications in America. Yeah, Dearborn, yeah, Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud's Abdad in the New York Times shed some light on the city's deep-rooted ties to Ramadan traditions and the recent anguish over the Gaza conflict. The mayor highlighting the personal connections residents have uh, to the Palestinian cause, recounting stories of displacement and loss. Despite being a crucial voting bloc, Arab Americans feel neglected by Democratic leadership, particularly as U.S. support for Israel's actions continues. In a symbolic gesture, the mayor of Dearborn announcing his decision to vote uncommitted in the upcoming primary election, reflecting his commitment to holding leaders accountable and reclaiming hope for a better future. And Democrats are deeply worried about the impact of this. Uh, When we come back, she's two years old. She's fighting for her life after shooting herself in the face with a gun her dad failed to secure. He's now facing charges. We'll talk to the prosecutor next on JR Morning at 619. We know during the winter months, and heck, the temps were in the 60s yesterday, uh, but we've been spending a lot more time indoors, and the temperatures will be going down again. And one of the things you really want to consider, and our friends at the Inside Outside Guides remind me about this a lot, is indoor air quality. Uh, We don't think about it when we're inside for the winter months. I mean, there are ways that we can take action to improve our health and our indoor air quality. And CNC Heating Air Conditioning has given us a great list. First, start by changing your filters. Those filters can be mighty gunky and can contribute to all kinds of allergens. Have your duct work clean. Same thing there. Also, check your carbon monoxide alarms. We know that CO is a silent killer. Don't be stuck breathing unhealthy air in your home. Have CNC Heating and Air Conditioning come out with your nationally certified technicians and help improve your home's air quality by doing a 21-point inspection. They'll also find out whether your system's operating efficiently. They can save you money. They've really perfected the service today, installation tomorrow mantra. So during these cold winter months, make sure to take advantage of CNC Heating and Air Conditioning's Carrier Cool Cash Savings when you get a new carrier furnace. Call CNC Heating and Air Conditioning today at 800-MY-FURNACE, 800-693-8762, or go to cncheat.com. cncheat.com, carrier, turn to the experts. Just one day after the state's new law mandating safe storage of firearms went into effect, a tragic incident occurred. A two-year-old little girl in Flint accidentally shot herself in the head with her father's revolver. Now the father, a 44-year-old man from Flint, faces charges under 
this new law. And joining us on the JR Morning Live line with more is Genesee County Prosecutor David Layton. Prosecutor, good morning. Yeah, good morning to you as well. Thank you for having me on. First of all, let me ask, uh, do you know how the child is doing this morning? Uh, at last check, still critical. The bullet went through her right eye, came out the back of her skull. She's had some uh, brain bleed and issues mm. there. Uh, she remains critical, going to lose the right eye for sure, according to physicians. It's just a terrible, terrible tragedy. And, you know, the legislation prosecutor was aimed to keep kids safe from guns. And, and still, just a day after safe storage goes into effect, another child hurt by a gun. And is it about more education about the safe storage law? Or will you, or will you just give people, you know, people will ignore it because they think, you know, it'll never happen to me. Uh, you know, my kids know better than to touch my guns. What, what needs to happen? Well, I think education is a key point. It's it's much like seatbelts. I, re- I read this somewhere yesterday, and I agree that, that you know, at first nobody was wearing their seatbelts. And then as, as word spread and it became a, an infraction if you didn't wear your seatbelt, people started wearing them. Now it's automatic. So I hope we get to the point in time where people with minor children in the home secure their guns safely so we can avoid these types of incidents. What charges is the father facing? So he's facing a litany of charges. Uh, the, the statutory violation of the safe storage of firearms is just one count. He actually has nine counts, ranging from the most severe is child abuse in the first degree, which is a life felony, uh, all the way down to lying to a peace officer, which is a, a four-year felony. And he's got multiple felony firearm counts attached to each one which is a mandatory two years consecutive to any other sentence he may receive from a judge upon conviction. But, you know, obviously he's innocent until proven guilty. That's my obligation to show evidence beyond a reasonable doubt of guilt. And then then we get to the sentence. So it's interesting to to, uh, Lloyd's point about education. There's nothing like a high-profile case to educate people that there is a new law here. We should point out the law doesn't mandate that you use safe storage, but it does set criminal penalties if you don't and a child is harmed, correct? Yeah, I mean, there is a provision in the law that if you don't do it and and the child just gets his hands on the gun, that that's a crime, too. Right. But really, I mean, where I'm looking at, and prosecutors have great discretion, I'm trying to stop kids from this exact type of incident where they shoot themselves or they shoot their siblings. I've had way too many cases in Genesee County like this, and I was shocked that the very next day we had a case based on this law that just went into effect. I'm hoping this this word gets out and we have less of these incidents because these are the kinds of things that even – grizzled old prosecutors and detectives, this makes us kind of get numb and and buckles us when we see the facts in cases like this. Well, any cop that's had to answer one of these things, and i got to tell you, any media person that has covered one of these things, it it rocks your world. Very quickly, though, I mean, we saw in the Crumbly case, Jennifer Crumbly testified that, well, we did our best. We tried to hide the gun, and, um, and that's what, you know, we're supposed to do. If this guy had tried to hide the gun from the child and the child still found it, would they still be uh, liable under the safe storage law? Well, under the law, you're supposed to store the firearm in a locked box or container 
or you can put a gun lock on it if it's, if it's unloaded. Right. So you have two choices. But like I said, prosecutors have discretion. If somebody puts a gun up in the top of a closet and the only kid in the house is a two-year-old who's still crawling, I mean, to me, that's common sense, safe storage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be precise as to the law, but that child's not going to get to that gun. Sir, speak to those who say this is an overreach and this is a penalty on, on gun owners who do the right thing. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of like a balancing act, isn't it? We, 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 we want to have access to our weapons should there be an intruder in our home. Mm-hmm. But we have to balance that with the need to protect minor children in the home. And I think this is a, a fair balance. I think you can still get to your firearm if you need to. I think it protects children in the long run. And I think over time, statistics will bear that out. Prosecutor, did the father uh, of the child, did he have a previous criminal record? Uh, Yes. He's charged as an habitual offender fourth, which means the sentences can be enhanced. Uh, Under the Michigan Rules of Professional Responsibility, though, I'm not allowed to go into details about that. But we did charge him as an habitual offender so that's public record. And I ask that because many will say that the law will be adhered to by legal, responsible gun owners, but those who are criminals or felons uh, won't adhere to it, and these types of incidents will continue to happen. I don't think there's any doubt that we'll still have more incidents, but if we have fewer incidents, if we even save one life of a child, then mm-hmm. it's worth it. Yeah. Right. One life saved. Yeah. Um. You know, I I do think there's a question, though. You say you have charged him with a a multiple number of offenses here. Did you go with involuntary manslaughter? Was that available to you as well? Well, the child's still alive. Well, that's true. That's that's true. So the child dies, we will add a God forbid we don't want that. I I made a giant leap there. But what I'm getting to is, is the safe storage law really the best avenue to do this? Or did you already have enough tools in your toolbox? I don't think so, because, you know, under involuntary manslaughter or even under the child abuse count that we did charge, we have to show that he knowingly or intentionally caused this serious injury. Mm-hmm. Under the safe storage violation of firearms law, the elements are much clearer to explain to a jury. And they don't have to really use their discretion to decide if this was knowingly or intentionally. They just have to decide, well, did he not store that gun according to this statute, okay. which mm-hmm. says you got to do certain things. So yeah. it's real clear cut, and it gives us the additional tool. Genesee County Prosecutor David Layton, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for giving us an update on this case. Thanks for having me on. The breaking news this morning, reports of a nationwide wireless outage impacting AT&T mostly, but maybe T-Mobile, maybe Verizon as well. No formal statement from any of the phone companies as of right now. And it's scary because people can't call 911. Someone in your family is affected. Call us 1-800-859-0957 or 0WJR there at the or you could text. That's text, not call. But obviously, if you're having the problem, you can't do that. But if your family's affected, would like to hear about it. I just called Lloyd. Oh, so your phones are working? Yep. Our, ours, I have Verizon, and mine is working yeah, right have, now. Yeah. So uh, that's scary, though. Or let it us is. know on Twitter, too, at WJR Radio. Exactly. That's another good way to let us know. Switching gears, uh, 75% of cardiac arrests happen at home, where knowing hands-only CPR could mean the difference between life and death. 
this Thursday today, in honor of the American Heart Month, Gardner White, Henry Ford Health, and the American Heart Association would offer free CPR training for the community. Let's bring in Dr. Herb Aronow, Medical Director of Heart and Vascular Services at Henry Ford Health. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be here. That is a staggering number. If this happens at home, we need to know how to protect our family members. It really is. I mean, 350,000 adults every year suffer from what we call sudden cardiac arrest, where the, the heart abruptly stops pumping, and every second and every minute count. Uh, and the first thing that people need to do if they witness someone uh, suffering cardiac arrest is call 911, as you mentioned. Uh, but the next thing that they can do that may very well be the difference between saving uh, or losing a life is to start hands-only CPR. And, and Doctor, I understand, you know, I've seen this. I've, I've never had the uh, lessons, but I've seen it on TV, and they're, they're pumping the chest with their hands, and they're, they're pumping it to the beat of staying alive by the Bee Gees. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, I, I think there are a few important parts about or aspects to doing hands-only CPR. First of all, many people think about traditional CPR, where uh, there are rescue breaths and chest compressions. Hands-only CPR is a simpler version of that, where you don't need to do mouth-to-mouth, you just do chest compressions. Uh, and it appears that it's just as effective in the early minutes after cardiac arrest as traditional CPR. And uh, when performing hands-only CPR, you put the heel of your hand in the center of uh, the person's chest, all the way down at the bottom of the breastbone, and you take your other hand and sort of lock your fingers, your other hand on top of it, and then with your elbows uh, locked, you're going to compress the chest. You're going to push in about five inches or so, or excuse me, two to three inches or so. And um, you're going to do that at a, at a rate of about 100 to 120 beats per minute, which just happens to be the, the beat of the song by the Bee Gees, for those who remember it's staying alive. And I, I mean, that's a lot of compressions. We should point out it's hard work. I know people are worried about damaging the patient in this case, about breaking ribs or they'll hear cartilage crack and, and stop. Um, first of all, they're worried about liability sometimes. I know of a woman that dropped of a heart attack. There were 50, I think nearly 50 other women there. Nobody knew CPR and nobody knew where the AED was either. There was one woman there saved her life by doing those compressions for eight long minutes while waiting for uh, first responders. But there was actually a registered nurse there who said, well, I don't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to get involved because I don't want to be sued. Well, that's a sad was, commentary. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. But just for those out there that may harbor that myth, doctor, you're protected under Good Samaritan laws, aren't you? You you are protected. I'm certainly not a legal expert. My understanding, though, is that, that you are. And if you think about it, the alternative is that that, that person may not survive. So uh, can they be harmed? Uh, certainly. Uh, ribs do break sometimes when effective CPR is performed. But um, it would certainly be better to survive with a, a broken rib or two than to not survive. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about how CPR training is going to go today for the community. Where is it? How does it work? Yes, I'm so excited about this collaboration. So first of all, uh, Gardner White initiated this conversation with Henry Ford Health. They, they for a long time, have uh, been very active in this space and have marked Heart Month um, and, and other heart-related educational activities through their very successful blood drive. 
Uh, in talking with them, we realized there was an opportunity for us to, to broaden their efforts. And um, we at Henry Ford Health have worked very closely with our partners at the American Heart Association, often around uh, teaching people CPR, hands-only CPR. And so the three organizations partnered and at the Gardner White Shelby Township store on Hall Road this afternoon, between noon and four, uh, we'll be offering CPR. Now, I, I do wanna point out that it's been wildly successful. We had 190 slots and they are sold out. So, what I would say to those who are interested, and I hope there are many more interested, is stay tuned. We certainly intend to do more of these, but also that there are other ways to learn hands-only CPR. Uh, you can, for example, search uh, YouTube and you can find videos from the American Heart Association. Uh, those videos within just a minute or two can teach you. You don't need to go through a full course, a traditional course to get a certificate to do this. Uh, the important thing here is that we have as many people as possible out in the community who can step in when needed. And, you know, doctor, as you said, you know, everyone should should learn how to do a CPR as many as possible. But I would think especially for young people, because recently there have been a lot of athletes at different games who have just, you know, uh, dropped out and, you know, fell out. And, Ronnie James. You know, right. Exactly. One of them. And, you know, if a young person or, or student knows that CPR could save his life or her life. No doubt. I mean, we all know those cases that have been uh, have garnered so much attention in the media. You mentioned Bronnie Jeans, Damar Hamlin, and, and there certainly are, are, are others. But it obviously can happen to anyone, uh, not, not just athletes. And I mentioned earlier that every minute is critical. And, and the reason that every minute is critical is that the brain is very sensitive to how much blood flow it gets or doesn't get. And Many of the other organs in the body can, can tolerate a period of time where there isn't blood flow, but every minute um, that, um, that the heart is not pumping, um, there's a reduction in survival by about 10% and a significant risk, even if the patient does survive, that there'll be significant brain damage. Where did the, sorry, AEDs come in? If, if there's one yeah. in your, your place of employment or whatever. Yeah, so certainly there aren't enough out there, but it's so exciting to see that, that more and more public places and private uh, are installing AED. So an AED is an automated external defibrillator. It's basically a device, a little machine that can deliver an electric shock and restart the heart. And the reason that's important is because sudden cardiac arrest means that the heart's electrical activity has essentially stopped or it's no longer coordinated in a way that can result in the heart pumping. That shock delivered uh, through this AED can convert someone from basically no uh, sustainable heart rhythm to a sustainable heart rhythm. So in addition to pumping the blood, it's important to try to get the heart back into its normal rhythm while waiting for EMS to arrive. We should point out, even if you haven't been trained on those machines, when you push the button, it, it talks, talks to, to you. you. Yeah. It tells you what yeah. to do to do next. Um, you know, hats off to Gardner White for doing this and hosting this event today and, and getting people trained up. For, for the employers out there in our audience, Doctor, uh, they could host one of these too, right? Absolutely. I, I would recommend the American Heart Association. They're, they're the experts in this space. So this is what they do day in and day out. They have all kinds of resources and are happy to set up uh, educational sessions uh, they have kiosks set up throughout uh, town. And so I would recommend uh, contacting the American Heart Association if there's interest in this. 
there are clearly many more people that we need to educate around hands-only CPR and uh, use of AEDs. This really is just the start, and this is a great month to do it, being American Heart Month. Well, thank you, Dr. Herb Arano, for joining us on JR Morning, Medical Director of Heart and Vascular Services at Henry Ford Health. A very important topic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we talk about the roads all the time. Turns out we're short when it comes to money in fixing them. We've heard this before. (laughs) There's a little bit of Groundhog Day here, but the amount that we are short is eye-popping. We'll We'll talk about it next. Yeah. Change is more reliable energy for homes and businesses all across Michigan. Consumers Energy knows that keeping the lights on, that's job number one. So from tree trimming to bearing lines, new technology that's available, they have a very fine-tuned strategic plan for fewer and shorter outages, and they're implementing it. Last year, they cleared tree branches for more than 7,000 miles of power lines. They replaced poles with sturdier materials that can withstand higher winds and added smart technology. Their reliability roadmap is working toward today when even the worst storm does not affect more than 100,000 customers, and all customers are back on in 24 hours. Consumers Energy, a force of change, a force for you. Apparently, some uh, local fire departments are experiencing some 911 outages because of this uh, AT&T, some widespread outages across the country. The information, we're just not getting a lot of it, but we want to know if it's uh, affecting you or perhaps your department. Uh, 1-800-859-0957. Give us a text and let us know. And also, if there's an alternative number to 911 you want folks to use, uh, we'll pass that along as well. But give us a text at 1-800-859-0957. Zero nine five seven. Well, you know, the County Road Association recently unveiled a sobering report at an event in Lansing, shedding light on the significant investment required to maintain the state's county roads. According to their findings, Michigan will need to allocate billions of dollars to ensure adequate upkeep. The report underscores the escalating financial demands with the recommended funding reaching $2.4 billion. That's a staggering 28% increase from just two years ago. On the JR Morning Live line with us to give us more insight on the issue is Ed Noyola. He is Chief Deputy and Legislative Director of the County Road Association of Michigan. Ed, good morning. Good morning, Lloyd. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you know, this uh, report by the County Road Association, it, it, it paints a pretty, you know, stark picture of uh, the infrastructure needs we we have. I mean, what are some of the most pressing challenges that are facing the counties right now in county road maintenance? Well, the county road maintenance is uh, really two types of roads. We've got primary roads, which are your high traffic volume roads, and then you got your local roads, which in your case probably are more like subdivision type roads and your low traffic volume roads. Uh, the, the local roads are the ones that are really being noticeably up, uh, in deterioration and get only getting worse. And that's where I think your road commissions, your road departments will tell you that, that that's where they're getting most of their complaints from, from the locals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed, we had a gas tax increase. Uh, the Whitmer administration went into debt to the tune of $3.5 billion to try to do some road reconstruction. Were, were you guys in the counties left out of that? Yeah, the, the counties and the cities. We, we did not receive any of that revenue. So Nothing. when you talk about a number, we sort of teased it and said it's staggering. What's the number that you need in annual funding to keep pace? Uh, that would uh, well, the 2.4 billion is in addition to what we're already getting, which is about 1.7, 1.8 billion annually for the 83 counties. Okay, that's staggering, double. Yeah, it is. But 
you know, you, you, anyone who drives drives our roads in Michigan or streets in Michigan will know that. Easy. Just look out your window. And when we've had these quality surveys, Ed, and, and we, we have seen some improvements in some places, just give us kind of a status check on that. The number of roads in the county system that are rated fair or poor, obviously we aspire to good. Um, how has that shifted in the past few years? Well, we, we've, sh- we've shifted from fair, poor, and good to good and fair. We, we like to measure our, our roads that way, good and fair, and then poor. Uh, the primary roads have increased in, in, uh, in good, fair category to 65%. And our goal is, very, is identical to MDOT's. We want our primary roads to be 90% good conditioned. And then our local roads, we're shooting for a modest 60%. Because that's about two-thirds of our, our structure, our straight miles that we really are responsible for are the local roads. And we're at 54% good condition, good fair condition. So we're, we're really, really struggling in that category right there, as you can see by the percentage numbers. Yeah, and, and, and Ed, you know, even with funds, and you get funds, you got inflation that drives up the cost for the materials and the equipment. Well, we've done some deep, deep digging here, and we went to Washington to uh, our electric vehicle conference. And, yeah, electric vehicles are, are hitting uh, the fuel tax uh, source a little bit or, you know, reasonably amount. But it's only going to get worse as the electric vehicle and hybrids increase in their fleet numbers. But we also have to be honest and look at the high-efficiency vehicles. The more miles you get per gallon, the less revenue we're collecting. Mm-hmm. So that is having an impact. And then you've got just general inflation, construction inflation costs. Those are the three categories that are really hitting us hard or preventing us from making any headway with our infrastructure. Um, Ed, in the report, though, it says there's some good news that, that since 2019, some things are positive. Yeah, uh, yeah. Our, our primary roads have gone up uh, a lot faster, and as far as condition, they've gone up uh, quite a bit, almost ten uh, percent from the two years ago. And our local roads have gone up, gone really, actually, they've gone backwards. They, they've gone down a percent or two. So the, the good news is the primary road systems, your heavy traffic volume roads, and I remind your your, your listeners that. A, a county road is all roads outside the city limits or any city limits. Those are county roads. Those are county maintained. So just to, to give a little clarity to, to what we're responsible for. Obviously, Ed, you know what the political environment is. There's a lot of people that feel like somebody's always got their hand in their pocket. And I can tell you, anytime I open up the phones on this issue, I get an earful from folks <laughs> saying, I, I've given. Uh, what's, what's, the, what's the resolution here? Uh, what, what would be the, the well, best and most equitable way of doing this? And perhaps is, is it a, a mileage tax that those that use the roads the most and the heaviest of trucks, they pay more? Well, there, there, there's, there's a short term uh, and then there's a long term. The short term is we need to do something right away. We are facing a fiscal cliff. And I know the Department of Transportation is also and they can tell you their their situation. But we're all facing a, a cliff here. And if we don't do something soon, we're going to it's only going to get worse and then we're we're trying to play more catch up with with what what our infrastructure looks like so you know based on that i i think we need to do some sort of a, a fuel tax increase now uh in the short term and in the long term we need to start looking at some mileage based user fee structure uh convert i know the east coast ha- has got pilots up and down the coast that they're doing looking at a mileage based uh user fee either under a pilot program 
or uh, under review by the legislature to transition to that category. And on the West Coast, they call it the RUC, the Road User, uh, oh, God, what is it, Road User Collection. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, the West Coast is really, really jumping on it, too. They're, they're doing pilots all over the place. It's just the central U.S. Uh, states that are struggling to look at pilots or do some sort of a study. I, I think we're past the study phase. Uh, we know what's going on. We yeah. know what it takes. We know how much money we would need to collect. But what we need to do is really focus on the short-term uh, solution right now. It, I, it's a problem that, that has a fix. I do know that under those road use scenarios that there are some rural roads that yeah. worry because they're lower use, they wouldn't get what they need, and there would have to be some adjustments made. But yeah, yep. uh, Ed uh, yeah. Noyla, uh, Chief Deputy uh, Legislative Director for the County Road Association from Michigan, thank you so much for uh, giving us some insight on our road situation with the counties, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Lloyd. Bye, Jamie. Bye. All right. Take care, Ed. <laughs> uh, you know, what's the latest, before we go, just the latest on the uh, outages we still we've uh, Yeah, we're not nothing. getting a lot here. And, I, and, 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 Nick, you got any texts out there from folks that say they've got uh, problems? Mm. Uh, not at the moment. Perhaps I feel like they, they don't can't really have service. Well, yeah. I was going to say, perhaps they, if, they, well, if they don't have service, they can't mm, let us know. Yeah, well, you, you might be able to get on Wi-Fi from Comcast, right? Oh, and text us true. that way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, we did, we've got Local 4 up in here, and it looked like Plymouth Township was throwing up an alternative number there uh, for, for their folks. And we'll try to snatch that off of uh, Local 4 for you and pass it along. But it's something we're dealing with. This morning, we'll keep you updated on all of it here on JR Morning. When we come back, uh, the Biden administration mulling a plan that would increase asylum standards. Right now, the most heavily impacted cities of this cell phone outage, uh, L.A., Atlanta, Chicago. But we're also hearing, hearing Boston too. Boston mm-hmm. as well. But we're also hearing uh, a shout out to our uh, Good friend Rod in Plymouth called in. He's got an he's an ATT uh, subscriber. His phone is not working this morning, so he he called us on a landline to let us know about it. Appreciate that. And we've got some uh, first responders that have to change things up because their nine one one isn't working. That's right. Some Michigan police stations, including Northville, Plymouth, and Plymouth Township, they're advising those who need emergency help to contact dispatch rather than nine one one until. This interruption is fully restored. Also, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office said they were having some issues with their 911 as well. So call dispatch instead of 911 if you need emergency assistance. So this sounds like for now that this is largely an AT&T event, but there are some customers from T-Mobile and Verizon saying they've got problems, but that could be unrelated. I mean, you're always going to have some outages in some places, so... uh, But uh, fairly widespread in in terms of AT&T. And some customers have reported that their service has returned <laughs> or is working intermittently. So, you know, it's it's kind of a touch and go at this point. Uh, you and I are both Verizon yes. folks. And I'm on an iOS device. You're a, uh, an Android, Android guy and everything's working it for us good. this morning. Yeah. So that's for what it's worth. Um, meantime, this morning, uh, as I said, going into the break, uh, the Biden administration going to take a page out of Donald Trump's playbook. They're going to use some of the laws that Trump tried to use in justifying his Muslim ban, but he wants to apply it to the southern border. Uh, The Biden administration, we don't know when they're going to do this, but uh, letting it leak out that there's a 1952 law called Section 212 that basically says in a case where uh, widespread immigration would be not in the best interest of the U.S., that they can slow things down. 
raise asylum standards or shut it off altogether. It's unclear what he's going to do. He's already drawing fire from the most progressive and extreme wing on the left of his party. Uh, But in the most recent polls, voters asked, what is concerning you? Immigration is always top one or top two, right? And so he he is going to try to respond to that. The question is, is will voters think he has credibility on this or if it's just too little too late? We have seen him try to moderate on things before, and I think they're worried that he'll go back if he's reelected. Meantime, uh, lots of fallout in Alabama. It was a lead story on all the morning shows this morning, other than the outage. Right. Other than the outage, we talked about this yesterday. The Alabama Supreme Court ruling that embryos created through in vitro fertilization are considered children. Well, now there's the fallout. The largest hospital in that state, University of Alabama at Birmingham, suspending IVF treatment so it can consider the legal repercussions of the decision. There's a statement they're saddened to impact the patient's attempt to have a baby, but we must evaluate the potential that our patients and our physicians could be prosecuted criminal, criminally or face punitive damages for following the standard of care for IVF treatments. So now that leaves women in that state wondering what the heck I'm going to do. Abby Crane. And their, and their husbands, well, right? Of course. They're trying to have a, a, a family. Of course. Families, yeah. couples, whatever. Yeah. Everyone who are trying to have a baby. This is one woman's story. Yeah, Abby Crane uh, saying that her outrage knows no bounds. I just want to be a mom. And it's wild to me that the state that I've called home has more say over that than I do right now. And she's saying, you know, I I don't just I don't know where to turn. I anticipate hearing from my doctor soon, but I have no clue what that's going to look like. I have no clue if it means that I need to move to another state in order to have children. I mean, it could be anything. Once again, one in six has couples have problems having a baby. A lot of them turn to fertility treatments. If you don't know, it's combining sperm and eggs in a lab, creating embryos, and then implanting one or more of those embryos in a person's uterus. A lot of times taking out embryos that are not genetically correct or mm-hmm. abnormal and putting only the best ones in so that, you know, you have embryos out there. And if they're all children, that's why they've halted all processes there right now because they don't know what the legal ramifications are and there always has been this concern what do we do with these fertilized embryos uh, do yeah. you discard them many families save them in case freeze the ivf them. that's right yeah freeze them in case the ivf doesn't take um but it's uh nikki haley weighed in on this mm-hmm. and it was interesting uh, she's trying to as she has so often done on abortion seeking some kind of middle ground here but she says No, she thinks those embryos, they're children. But when you talk about an embryo, you are talking about, to me, um, that's a life. And so I do see where that's coming from when they talk about that. Do you have concerns about the ways that that could hurt people who are seeking IVF treatment? I think that we have to have those conversations. That's incredibly personal. It's incredibly sensitive. And I think that's the conversation the doctor needs to have with the patient. Let's never underestimate the importance of the relationship between a doctor and patient when they're doing any of that. Well, okay. She has said in the past her beliefs on abortion are let's not I, I personally wouldn't do it, she says. Right. I believe that abortion should not happen. But she's also said that it's a decision for others. Let's try and save as many babies as we can, but let's not legislate what women should do. She said that in the past. So kind of get that feeling with that statement on Seek, this. Seeking out a middle ground. And we've heard that Trump is willing to back a 16-week abortion ban. He has not stated so publicly. I think it's time that he do that. 
uh, you know, let us know what you would be on board with. Um, by the way, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, in spite of the fact that, I mean, we saw her poll 35 percent in South Carolina. Um, she's not going to win there. Um, she's trailing here in Michigan. Uh, but she is still seeing a flood of campaign donations, $9.8 million, uh, going into directly into her campaign. Her super PAC took in an additional $5.8 million. So there are plenty of individual donors saying, you know what, I'm willing to, to bankroll you just in case we have a conviction come yeah, down or something else. That's what it is, yeah. And we think that you're, you're adding value to the race by staying in. And that's why... Uh, she's got a huge flight of ads up uh, here in in Michigan. Where she? What does she call Congress the most exclusive nursing home in the world? <laughs> I, that one at least made me chuckle. Um, we've got a. If you're coming in on uh, I ninety four inbound, uh, you're going to see something special. Yeah, the Detroit Gateway Sign Project making significant pro- uh, progress as Fairmount Sign Company unveiled this ten foot letters. The say Detroit is set to adorn the city's entrance. Now, ahead of the 2024 NFL draft, these monumental letters will greet visitors, marking a new era for the city. Jessica Parker, Deputy Chief uh, Operating Officer, she's going to join us uh, later on this morning at 849 to talk more about it. But they will be put up along I-94 between Wyoming and Central Avenues, also 75 at 8 Mile, 96 at Telegraph, 94 at Maross, Southfield at 8 Mile, and Southfield at Ford road so and the uh the uh installation scheduled to be done by the end of march just in time welcoming for people the nfl draft shine draft. it up yeah that's, our version of the hollywood sign that's okay but we're gonna have multiple yes yes so it's better it takes absolutely <laughs> uh by the way late yesterday before we left the air uh right after we left the air ford uaw reached a tentative deal they are avoiding a strike at the kentucky plant uh the truck plant which could have been a uh, crippling and uh, UAW announcing how much they're going to put towards this um, this organizing campaign in the foreign plants. Forty million dollars. Well, they're really going after. They're not playing. Uh, time for WJR's business beat brought to you by shelving dot com. We rack your world. Let's check in with Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation. Morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy, Lloyd, Jamie. Business is hard enough, but as most small business owners are well aware, in addition to all the challenges we face as business owners today, more and more attention is now having to unfortunately be paid to protecting our business from cyber attacks. And many would say that the type of attack feared most is known as a ransomware attack in which the bad guys effectively seize your key digital business assets, such as your website, customer accounts, financial records, and others, and require that you pay them a ransom in order to get those assets back. Of course, in the absence of getting them back, your business can be temporarily tied up or even permanently destroyed. And now new data from a recently published report from the cryptocurrency research firm known as Chainalysis shows that the problem is only getting worse as victims of hacking attacks paid out a record $1.1 billion to the bad guys in 2023 as ransom in exchange for a return of those digital assets seized by them. By way of comparison, $567 million was paid out in 2022. Chainalysis said this about their findings. 2023 marks a major comeback year for ransomware with record-breaking payments and a substantial increase in the scope and complexity of such attacks. What to do? Focus on shoring up your defenses from a technology standpoint by working with a qualified cybersecurity consulting firm. Train your employees to be on the lookout for suspicious activity. 
and to not engage in providing any company information to unknown sources. Lastly, consider getting cyber insurance to help deal with the costs should your business encounter such a nefarious attack. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, the source for everything you need to start and grow your own business. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. Happy Thursday, everyone. That means we're going to go to the couch with Dr. Steve, psychologist and corporate coach for Craig Counseling Services in Bloomfield Hills. Good morning. Good morning, guys. How's everybody? We're good. Good. Nick said when he was dropping off this, he said this is a good one. Did he? So let's go. Did he say Jamie was going to win? Because I didn't, I didn't hear that. Nope, probably not. Why is, <laughs> why is Jamie? <laughs> Dr. Steve, I need some straight-to-the-point advice. I see kids today not understanding how to communicate with each other, and they spend all their time on social media, and they don't even know what a newspaper is, let alone how to read an entire news story, and I think it's terrible. So when our kids were little, my wife and I decided we were not going to give in to all the destructive influences and pressures kids and parents have to deal with today. So we made sure our kids aren't allowed on social media, and no texting their friends, calling is fine, and we read the newspaper, not skim the headlines. And now that our oldest is 13, my wife is caving into all of this. Our daughter's on social media all the time. She texts everyone and rarely has a verbal exchange. My son plays video games with his friends rather than throwing a ball or being outside. And I see them becoming stupider and less capable every day. I learned all that good stuff when I was growing up, and now I'm failing at teaching my kids the right stuff. How do I get my wife back on the program? Interesting. (laughs) This is a good one. (laughs) Because Ryan and I talk about this a lot, how we don't want Olivia to get a cell phone too early, that Uh we want her to be able to talk to others. And I I agree with where he's coming from, but there's also this point of this is the world, and you better know how to use technology well. Yeah, because... So come back to me on my answer. Yeah, and your jobs (laughs) too. I mean, in jobs, you know, you're going to be using technology, and so you got to know. But yeah... You know, I guess once they get to be a, a teenager, sometimes parents just like, okay, I'm I'm done. You know, they kind of check out or something like that, and it's easier to just check out and let them do what they want to do. But uh, maybe I'm I'm hoping, just like I'm I'm hoping that the earlier when they were growing up and they were teaching, I'm hoping that stays with them. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting scenario, but it really comes down to the same old, same old. Whether it's fashion, whether it's you know, whatever the issue Music. is. Are you a friend or are you a parent? Mm -hmm. And so are you going to be the mom and dad to this child and try to give them some boundaries? You know, it it is everything in moderation. Listen, it hits home for us in the media. The kids are getting their news off TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Good God almighty. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a, I mean, it's a cesspool of misinformation. So I I understand his concerns there and good on him for, for having the kids, you know, you could put together a little family newsletter of, of stuff that might interest them, but at least you get them into the habit of using trusted sources. But I still think it comes down to, are you going to be a parent? Or are you going to be a friend? And there's that unwillingness to do the hard stuff. Yeah. I think you have boundaries at home when it comes to social media, you have rules and you inform them that, TikTok is not the gold standard of journalism that you just teach them about social media while they're at home. Because when they're not at home, all the friends have the phones and they're going to be on social media. Mm-hmm. I also challenge that this guy says, 
She's on all the time. She texts everyone. She rarely has a verbal exchange. It sounds yeah. like he is looking really hard to have his biases validated. Yeah. So he's holding really firm to some yes. some standard. And it, the, the thing with this is that one of the hardest things we have as parents is to, to understand that our job is to teach them, to prepare them to live in the world they're going to live in, not the world we came from. And it's so hard. So it doesn't really matter how good or bad my upbringing was and what I learned, if my kids don't know how to interact in the world they live in, they become dysfunctional. You know, some of the least functional people are the people who don't know how to deal with the world that they live in. It's mm-hmm. like taking a kid who's an Amish kid and dropping him into New York City. I mean, he doesn't know what to do. So it it it's not about... I mean, we can think a lot of these influences are terrible, but if we try to teach them to live in the world we grew up in, we're doing them a disservice. It's much more about understanding that every new technology, every new thing has to be learned how to deal with, dealt with responsibly, that we always come back to coping skills. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of bad influences. I need to teach my kids how to responsibly deal with the world they're heading to, not how to deal with the world I came from. Okay, the dad in this scenario is going to say to you, yeah, Steve, but I didn't come from that world, so I don't know how to manage this social media stuff. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what he's going to say. (laughs) And I'm going to say, then you better figure it out because it's your job to figure out how to teach your kid these days. That is a terrible excuse, you know? So, I mean, I mean, we could make do extremes, you know, I, these, it's a hundred years ago. What is this damn car? Horse and buggy. That's what you do. I don't know how to drive that car. I'm not going to teach them how to do that. I mean, you've got to learn to understand how to do it. We're, we're so bad. I mean, I'm terrible at social media. I mean, my kids roll their eyes and I I tried to download an app yesterday and everyone had to take the phone from me and teach me how to do it. It should be my job to figure out how to do that so I can teach them responsibly. That's where we fall short. And teach them the social skills to talk to people and be able to do that from your home. Yeah. Right. Knowing full well they're going to be on social media at some point. Well, when you think of these things, there's both good and bad with every advancement. Like, like texting, it's true. People don't interact as much verbally. Mm-hmm. But there's the volume of communication is incredibly better. Mm-hmm. The things they, I mean, my, we're, we're going to France here in a, in a month or two, and my kids both picked up their phones and texted people they knew in Paris. Oh, hey, what do we do? And in five minutes, we had all kinds of advice on what to do. The ability to communicate is so much better. You As more people wake up, there are more reports of outages uh, with uh, AT&T mobile devices. Um, There's a site called downdetector.com that uh, follows this. They had 40,000 AT&T customers reporting outage in the 5 a.m. hour. It surged even more at 7 a.m. That's not a comprehensive number, though, so it's really hard to figure out how widespread this is. But we've heard from listeners and from police and fire uh, departments in different parts of our area that say that their 911 systems uh, are sporadic or are not working. So be aware of that as you awake, especially if you have AT&T service. And you may, we were hearing that there may be some Verizon and T-Mobile uh, mobile devices that are having problems as well. We've been following the, the turmoil within the state Republican Party. We know that there are now two, two, count them, state conventions are going to be happening on March 2nd in different parts of the state. At the same time, uh, Pete Hoekstra will be chairing one. Christina Karama will be chairing the other. Both will be choosing delegates to the Republican National Convention coming up this summer. And uh, meantime, there is a court case going on that will determine which whether the Republican bylaws were followed uh, when Pete Hoekstra 
was uh, when Karama was voted out and when Hoekstra was voted in. <laughs> and yesterday they heard from a very important witness, a parliamentarian expert who gave them broad sweeping testimony on Robert's rules of order. I'm so sorry that I couldn't be there. (laughs) Apparently there was a whiteboard and it turned into a college class, basically. God. But the takeaway is that they believe Karamo or this person believes Karamo was properly removed as chair of the Michigan Republican Party. Right. But he was a witness for uh, Hoekstra's side. Correct. will assume that she has some experts uh, of her own. This guy literally wrote the book on Robert's Rules of Order and uh, co-authored the the latest edition. I've just got to give credit to the judge and all involved that they were able to stay awake. Uh, (laughs) It'd been different. It was parliament as a part as as you know instead of parliamentary. Yes, the parliament group Funkadelics. Oh, oh. oh, I wasn't even going there. But you meant like Funny. the British Parliament. But you're right. That would be that a would lot be a, more entertaining. Yeah, George Clinton in the Parliament. Yeah, that would yeah. be a little better. Go, go totally funkadelic on you. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll see uh, much more testimony to come there, but hopefully they can get this rectified long before that March 2nd date. It'll but be here before. We're running out of time. It'll be here, here before we are you know on the, it. On the 22nd. So. Uh, and by the way, we could see some showers today. It felt like spring yesterday. Oh, Gail's man. down in Florida with the grandkids. Um, we had weather that was as good or better than what they had down there. Do you not say that. It I'm was, going next week. I know. It was really windy down there. So, uh, you know, we, we, but it, uh, it's going to slowly come to an end here. Um, we, uh, We've got something going on with people going around smashing windshields. Yeah, you know, authorities in Macomb County, they're on the hunt for a couple of suspects behind a series of windshield smashing incidents spanning multiple towns. The Macomb County Sheriff's Office receiving reports of these incidents near intersections like 22 Mile and Carr, 24 Mile and Hayes Roads in Macomb Township with similar occurrences in Shelby Township near 24 Mile and Shaner. The uh, suspects are believed to be driving a newer model white Ford F-150 with black wheels. Sheriff's Department suspects the uh, cases are linked. The uh, urge They urge anyone with information to come forward. You can call the Macomb County Sheriff's Department or you can call Shelby Township Police if you see this uh, newer model white Ford F-150 with black wheels. Under the heading of it seemed like a good idea at the time, uh, the giant cranes that are in use at uh, ports... Uh, along our coastline, some of our biggest ports responsible for critical <laughs> goods coming and going. Um, most of them are built in China, and a lot of them have uh, cyber connections. And so there's growing concern that if the Chinese really wanted to mess with us, they could remotely shut down the cranes that bring in food, iron ore, you name it. Yeah. Um, all of the things that, you know, this, think of this as a major artery in our heart. Well, they could give us a heart attack essentially, mm. by controlling these cranes. So the Biden administration is going to spend billions of dollars for domestic production of American-made cranes that won't be used against us in the future. There was also some concern that these uh, cranes were equipped with cameras where they could surveil what was coming and going uh, at our ports, uh, especially in terms of munitions mm-hmm. as we're sending uh, things to our allies in, in other places like Taiwan so they can protect themselves, uh, that China would know about it uh, even before those goods arrived. Uh, but uh, like so many things, our reliance 
on China has left us vulnerable to so many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the components, the compounds to make drugs. Yes, we make them here. We've got an incredible, incredible uh, uh, biotech sector, but we still rely on the building blocks mm-hmm. to come from China and other areas that are, uh, you know, could be hostile. Uh, do you believe in miracles? I do. I, I want to. <laughs> it's um the 44th anniversary of the game where the United States beat the Soviet Union. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. It was on this day. February 22nd, 1980. Wow. You were kind of, cha- you were very, you were very. I surprised you guys. You did. Yeah, but you were a very low-key Al Michaels. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I was trying to low-key surprise you, but yeah. that was voted wow. as, you know, a, the top sports moment in the 20th century and today is the anniversary okay you know that was run on tape delay here in detroit it didn't happen live we watched it on tape delay and i'm watching it at my girlfriend's house with her father we are so geared up for this game and it was then that her mother danced through the family room going i know who won it's so exciting (laughs) oh no no. the biggest spoiler of all time God love her. Uh, she was the sweetest. She is the sweetest lady in the world. But it was like, seriously? And that's mm. before Twitter that's, and it, social right, media. Social media. <laughs> right. And I, 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 her husband, just, I, he just was like, oh. Are you kidding? But it was still, even though we knew the outcome, it still was so exciting. Yeah. Amazing. Got to see that movie. That's a great movie. That is a great movie if you haven't seen it. with um, Miracle on Ice with Kurt Miracle Russell. Ice, yes, yeah. being her Brooks. And mm-hmm. it's a great, that was a great time. Oh, it wasn't even the yeah. championship. No, but it was still great. Yeah, but it got us there. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, and he, and again, one of those arch, one of those great rivalries, uh, and you know, and, and, and I don't know if if it happened now whether it would be the same because you know you got so many pros or top level guys that it's not the That's same. That's the thing. These are college kids. Mm-hmm. They were amateurs who went and took down these professional players in Russia. That's what makes the story even greater. So, yeah. And, and I, I don't know that a Soviet lot of people, Union. if you know, <laughs> younger people hearing that story, whether they yeah, understand that they because don't. their window into this is so different. The Olympics means something entirely different now. Plus, right. they don't understand what the Cold War was like. Right. No. Uh, that's, you know, that was the other thing. Well, thanks for that. 44 years. Wow. Uh, and a special tribute uh, to the late Jamin, uh, Judge Damon J. Keith. It's set to uh, debut at Charles Wright. Uh, and we all know about uh, the Judge Damon Keith. Uh, the new gallery is offering this immersive experience and showcasing Judge Keith's remarkable journey from childhood to becoming the longest serving black judge in the nation through interactive displays and innovative technology. Visitors will explore his life, including his upbringing, military service, legal career and groundbreaking tenure as a circuit judge. His impact on the legal landscape serving both the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals and the Eastern District of Michigan is commemorated in this exhibition at Charles Wright, which will open on February 27th. You know, one of the coolest things about this job is that occasionally you get to spend time with giants. And I got to imagine he's oh, absolutely your top five. Yes, I mean, easily. Yeah, same here. One of the most, um, I mean, just oozed character and grace and yes, intelligence and thoughtfulness and uh, you know, always chose his words so carefully. <laughs> he did, and uh, and he he would be a role model for anybody that wants to live a very public life. When we come back, uh, we've heard about this. Uh, you know, what's in your wallet? Well, what's in your wallet might change because uh, Capital One is requiring Discover Financial Services. It's a 
a big acquisition. What will it do to the credit markets? I mean, this is the way most people do their transactions in their lives. How much might it increase the costs of that? We'll discuss it next on JR Morning at 749. It is a uh, mega buck all-stock deal with Capital One. Acquiring Discover Financial Service, 35 and almost a half billion dollars, giving quite a leg up on the competitive credit card market. We know Americans are caring about one trillion in credit card debt. And does this mean a loss of competition? Mark Hamrick is Senior Economic Advisor for Bankrate.com. Mark, good morning. Good to be with you. Thank you. So give us an assessment. And and I assume that, that like any acquisition, this is going to have have to pass muster with the SEC. How uh, how big is the potential for anti-competitiveness here that could drive up rates? Well, I would say that there's a very serious chance that uh, regulators can block this, will block this, uh, as they've done in the airline industry of late. And this administration is very tough on antitrust concerns. What you have is the nation's sixth largest bank, uh, in the position, or I should say, ninth largest bank to become the sixth largest bank with the acquisition of Discover. Um, and you will have the nation's single largest credit card issuer. So those are significant, and those are the sorts of things that, in this world that we live in, uh, not only raise the ire of antitrust regulators, both at the FTC and the Department of Justice, but also uh, take on a political tint. And we've already seen Actually, members of both parties in the Senate, Elizabeth Warren and Sherrod Brown on the Democratic side and Josh Hawley Mm -hmm. on the Republican side, uh, raised questions about uh, whether this should be allowed to go through and, and in fact, uh, expressing their opposition to it. what, how about the debt that Americans are carrying? Is there any relief, uh, do you think, with interest rates or anything like that? So we have surpassed pre-pandemic levels on credit card debt, and credit card interest rates are the most expensive we've ever seen. We track these daily and weekly at Bankrate. Yesterday, Mm -hmm. we published our weekly average on credit card interest rates. And so the average for the best qualified borrowers, meaning those people who have high credit scores, is 20 and three quarters percent. Uh, obviously, you know, you look at store cards, you look at uh, less competitive cards, you get closer to 30 percent. And that's a rather punitive rate of interest in the sense of is there relief in the offing? We believe there is because the Federal Reserve, uh, while seeming to uh, be hesitant to cut interest rates, that was a message that we took away from the release of the meeting minutes that we got yesterday. It still believes that the Fed will be cutting rates in the second half of the year and Although there's a heck of a premium between the federal funds rate and the prime rate charged banks' best customers, uh, they are all correlated to credit card interest rates, very much so. And so if the Fed starts cutting, uh, you can start seeing those credit card interest rates coming down. But about half of Americans allow their interest uh, or or their debt to carry over month over month. And so that means that they're paying um, that high rate of interest Mm -hmm. in allowing uh, that debt to carry over, and that's quite costly, but that's one of the things that's been happening in this environment where inflation has been historically high. Mark, what are some of the um, um, positive or negative implications of this deal if this deal goes through for consumers? Well, I think, first of all, uh, in the sense that 
both Capital One and Discover are seen as relatively smaller players up against the networks that are maintained by Visa and MasterCard. Discover has its own network. And so uh, what uh, Capital One has said is it would look to transition some of its transactions over to the Discover network and perhaps give Visa and MasterCard uh, a little better competition. I think there's no question that if you think about some of the uh, more powerful issuers like American Express and J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, they would become a more viable competitor and probably would uh, address that in coming up with new product offerings. Capital One, as we all know, has a very uh, aggressive promotional campaign as uh, exemplified in its commercials. It, it, it seems like you can't sit down in front of the television for more than an hour or two and avoid one of them. And so it has a high degree of brand recognition. And that would probably be helpful in the sense of raising the profile of Discover, making it a more uh, competitive brand, which, by the way, its reputation right now is one that they're actually catering to uh, wealthier customers and those who have higher credit scores in terms of Discover. Yeah, on the positive side, Lloyd, we get to see a lot more of Jennifer Garner, okay? Um, when, when you look at this, and we know that when we're in an election year, uh, Mark, that, that any economic news tends to get thrust through a political lens. When you look yeah. at the level of consumer debt now, and you said it's beyond the pre-pandemic levels, is that a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, as a percentage of total spending, are we at record highs. What does it mean going forward in terms of just how leveraged U.S. households are? Well, they're leveraged to the extent that uh, that debt uh, has a price to be paid for. And that's true with, for example, automobiles, where even though loan uh, rates aren't nearly as high on an interest rate level for purchasing a new car, the expense of a new car uh, being averaging around $50,000 since you're at Motor City, um, you know, that's significant, and, and that's combined with the high cost of insurance, which is going through all kinds of sort of structural and cyclical issues right now. Uh, all these things cause strains on households. And, you know, what happened with the inflation that began with the pandemic is that uh, somewhere between one-fifth and one-quarter of Americans' purchasing power was essentially destroyed because that's how much higher uh, prices are compared to then. And we're still seeing it with food. We're still seeing it with things like car insurance, and we're seeing it with shelter, high home prices. So, you know, every little sort of stab at that purchasing power is hurtful, and it, it stands in the way of allowing Americans to accomplish their financial goals. And we have mm -hmm. talked for years here the Americans are undersaved, and only 44% of Americans have enough money to pay an emergency expense of $1,000 or more from savings, mostly paycheck to paycheck. Uh, Mark, what about fraud? If Capital One becomes bigger, owns the rails, could they prevent fraud easier? Well, that is an interesting question. I think, you know, you want to have sort of a, a great deal of robust uh, process in place to combat fraud when it seems as if you know, the fraudsters that exist all around the world uh, are almost one step ahead of the game. And so, you know, cyber uh, security, uh, the emergence of AI, all of these things are sort of a, a war that's going on. And so more powerful players are in a position to use more powerful tools. And I, and I, and I know that is certainly a concern of the industry as well, because, you know, they don't want to lose your money any more than you do. Very quickly, Mark, before we let you go, you look at bankrate.com. What's the best deal out there today? 
Well, what I'd simply say is the one thing that we really do urge everybody to do is to shop around for the best rate for a high-yield savings account. And while we bemoan the fact that uh, borrowing rates are the most expensive in a generation, well, so too are the savings rates. And mm-hmm. so that's a way to, to police against this problem of having to use a credit card is to pay yourself first and take that money out of your own account, and then the bank doesn't have to pay it for you. Good advice. Mark Hamrick, thanks very much. Our senior economic advisor at Bankrate.com. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. When we come back, a new witness in the James Crumpley trial. Is it his son? I guess everybody's having an outage this you morning, wanted, including me. You wanted to talk. I, yeah. I, yeah. You I, wanted to come to talk. Uh, uh, Just... pre- premature speaking. Sorry about that. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping that you're not affected by this uh, somewhat broad and massive outage uh, on the AT&T system that broke overnight. Uh, we're watching it closely, hearing from some listeners and some police and fire stations that are saying they're 911 isn't working. If that's the case, uh, call the normal dispatch line that you find. Hopefully, your phone will work when you go to look that up. Um, <laughs> yes. But it's, uh, it's it's complicating life for a lot of people out there. By the way, coming up at uh, 819 or thereabouts, we're going to tell you about the new shows coming to the Fisher Theater, the the uh, Broadway in Detroit series. <laughs> this is a Some lineup. Great show. i got to tell you. Great show. Uh, yeah, this is an incredible lineup, and we, we look forward uh, to that. The Crumbly trial, uh, every, all the pre-trial motions getting underway there. We know that James Crumbly, as Jennifer Crumbly tried, uh, mm-hmm. going to try to get a lot of evidence thrown out. Um, but there is one witness that is, we're going to hear from that we didn't hear from in Jennifer Crumbly's trial. That's right. The judge overseeing the upcoming trial of James Crumbly has decided to permit the former owner of the weapon involved in the tragic Oxford High School shooting to testify. The decision follows a contentions hearing where the prosecution advocated for two victims of the shootings to also testify, citing their relevance in bolstering the case beyond video evidence. However, the defense countered, arguing that such testimonies could prejudice the jury. Amidst these debates, Crumbly's defense team pushed back for a change of venue to ensure a fair trial, citing the extensive media coverage surrounding the case and his wife Jennifer's recent conviction on similar charges. Despite these arguments, the issue of venue remains unresolved, leaving the possibility of a local jury trial intact. With Jennifer's conviction eliminating the possibility of a plea deal, James Crumley faces an uphill battle, according to a lot of of, uh, legal scholars. The role of the weapon, particularly its condition and storage, emerges as a central focus, with the prosecution highlighting its significance in Jennifer's conviction. However, debates over the relevance of additional witnesses and potential emotional influence on the jury continue. And you know, James Crumley also guy does not want the journal of his sons or text messages to be admitted in the trial. The the judge has not made a decision. Uh, The date for the trial, it gets underway March 5th. And right now, uh, that change of venue and the decision for witness testimonies rests in the uh, lap of Judge Cheryl Matthews. What we saw in Jennifer Crubley's trial, though, was the the best of intentions on the part of the defense to keep stuff up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes... It just makes its way in because sometimes they the, bring it in. in yeah, I mean, uh, we saw her defense attorney. Uh, I, I don't I wouldn't I call it a mistake, but things happened that yeah. allowed some of this to get into the record, and it may have been uh, consequential for Jennifer Crumbly. 
we know that during the pandemic, so many things changed. One of the one of the major things is that in college admissions, more universities completely stepped away from the ACT and SAT. You know, they said during, during the pandemic it was unfair. Kids couldn't prep. It, it, there was just a number of, of complications, and it was probably a good decision at the time. But then as the, after the pandemic, they kept that ban. Well, now some cooler heads and maybe more research-oriented heads have prevailed, and they've said, well, this presumption that it disadvantages minority and low-income students is actually nonsense that the standardized test, when you look at it, that more, had it been used, more minority, more than low-income students would have been let into these Ivy League schools. Today, Yale University announcing it's following Dartmouth. It's going back to the SAT and ACT. And I'm telling you, watch the dominoes begin to right. fall. Mm-hmm. Ivy Leagues this. are doing it. Exactly. Yep. And so uh, I've got a feeling that we're going to see a lot of Michigan schools kind of moderate their position on this, that perhaps it was actually having the opposite effect of what they thought it would. And, and thank goodness that they are, are revisiting that. You guys heard the story about the, the waitress over in Benton Harbor. Yeah. Yes. tip. She got a $10,000 tip. She shared it with her coworkers, and um, then she got fired. Now, the owners of this restaurant, the Mason Jar Cafe in Benton Harbor, said it had nothing to do with how it was distributed. Well, now she's reached out to the attorney, and she's getting lawyered up. She talked to Local 4, and she said early on, um, I warned my boss that this was causing some turmoil. She was the one that divvied it up to her coworkers which was the instruction she got from the guy that left it. I at least made them aware of things that were being said. And she kind of posted on social media saying, well, you know, this was a positive thing, but it's creating a lot of drama, and that's very sad. Well, then the boss said, that post has to go. I was told legal action is being taken against me, um, and that if I wanted lawyers to be after me for the foreseeable future, um, I needed to take my post down. You know, I was praised so much on TV for, I mean, being willing to share this, which is what the man asked. That's all I did. No litigation's been filed yet, but it's heading in that direction. The one kind of thing that's gone unanswered here is, how did she divvy it up? Why, Why were people carping? I mean, my goodness. This was like a, you know, just an unexpected gift from yeah. a customer. The fact that she got anything, be happy with that. But if she didn't divide it up evenly between the front of the house folks and the back of the house folks, I can understand. But we don't know what the drama was. We don't know. No. She and doesn't I think, say. I think it's sad that this is all, this is what's coming out of someone who tried to do something really nice for employees of this restaurant. I do think it's interesting that the owner said, no, it had nothing to do with that. Well, it sounds like, yeah. And she's got recordings of their calls to her, threatening her, which may end up in court. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, oh, uh, yeah. kind of uh, terribly, uh, terribly unfortunate No good thing. Fortunate there. No good deed goes on. Unpunished, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, meantime, uh, speaking of, of punishments and bad deeds, Knollwood Country Club, uh, a wonderful place that has been kind of a home away from home for Jewish families in Metro Detroit for a long, long time, the scene of something very ugly. Yeah, this came from a state rep, Noah Arbit. Uh, he's a Democrat from West Bloomfield. He sent out a release yesterday. That's how I heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Friends of the Israeli Defense Forces is an organization supporting Israeli soldiers, veterans, and their families. They hosted an event on Thursday. That event was supposed to take place at Knollwood Country Club, 
which according to Arbit is a Jewish institution. And it, the event was moved to another location in West Bloomfield due to threats. Now, on Thursday evening, a group of pro-Palestinian protesters mobbed areas around Knollwood Country Club, blocking the intersection at Maple Road. Officers from the West Bloomfield Police Department engaged and dispersed the crowd. The next morning, according to this release, there were messages disparaging of the IDF, hope you die instead, Ugh. quote, were found spray-painted on wow. the Knollwood Country Club's property. That was found by staff, again, the next morning around 1040 outside the facility on a utility box and signs for the club and a wall of the building. Now, police believe the vandalism occurred anytime after 9 p.m. Thursday night. The deputy chief of the police department told the Detroit News that police are investigating this vandalism and urge anyone with information to contact the police department. It's radical. It's unlawful. And do you really think you're changing hearts and minds? No, not and, with graffiti. And, no, and that's, the, and that's the thing. You know, and I think if, if you want to get out there and responsibly speak your piece and sure. protest, fine. And you may be able to compel some people to see things differently. But when you when you act in an unlawful manner, it just doesn't work. You're just agitating. Yeah. There is a, a different point of view in the op-ed piece from Dearborn's mayor. Yeah, the, uh, Mayor Abdullah Hamoud's op-ed in the New York Times shed some light on the city's deep-rooted ties to Ramadan traditions and the recent uh, anguish over the Gaza conflict. The mayor highlighting the personal connections residents have to the Palestinian cause, recounting stories of displacement and loss. Despite being a crucial voting bloc, Arab Americans feel neglected by Democratic leadership, particularly as U.S. support for Israel's actions continue. Mayor Hamoud urges accountability from President Biden and Congress, emphasizing the urgent need for a ceasefire in Gaza. He shares his disappointment in the administration's response, expressing hope for a shift towards justice and democracy. And in a symbolic gesture, he is announcing his decision to vote uncommitted in the upcoming primary election, reflecting his commitment, he says, to holding leaders accountable and reclaiming hope for a better future. You know, we've got he is a very thoughtful leader, and that's the kind of discussion that we need to have. The problem is, is there has been less civil discussions, which inspires the kinds of things that we saw at Knollwood. Right. And then we see radicals on the other side engender anti-Muslim and Islamophobic. Right. I uh, thought his op-ed was very heartfelt when it ta- talks about family members that mm-hmm. people are losing. One person had lost 80 people mm-hmm. in his extended family Fairly. with what's going on in Gaza. So this is not black and white. It's very complicated. Former and Congressman Justin Amash over heartbreak. in Grand Rapids, yeah. yes. a Palestinian Christian, um, has lost several family members in a, in a Christian church that was targeted by an Israeli rocket. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's, there's horrible uh, costs on both sides. We're going to turn to something much, much happier. Yes. And that is Broadway yes. coming to Detroit. If you're a subscriber to this series and you know how exciting and fun it is, and wait until you hear the lineup for the 24-25 season. We'll have it for you next on JR Morning coming up at 819. Are your windows old and drafty or maybe they're just dated? It's time for an upgrade. Well, you need to call my friends at Clarkson Window and Door. For over three decades, Clarkson Window and Door has been providing hundreds of thousands of windows and doors to Michigan homes. The seasons change quickly here in Michigan. You need a window that is designed to stand up to our northern environment. That's why Clarkson Window and Door recommends North Star Windows, an American-owned company that designs windows that can handle all this crazy Michigan weather. It's cold last week. It's warm this week. 
But a great window is only as good as the people installing it. And Clarkson Window and Door has the best installers in the industry. And they stand by their work with a lifetime warranty. You only offer that if you're confident that your customers aren't ever going to need it. It's no surprise that Clarkson Window and Door is so highly recommended by WJR's home improvement experts, the Inside Outside Guys. Right now, call Clarkson Window and Door and mention you heard them on WJR and get 33% off your job. 33%. Don't wait. The offer won't last. Their schedule is booking up. Call 248-338-6781 or visit ClarksonWindow.com for more information. That's 248-338-6781 or visit ClarksonWindow.com. When we talk about the great things going on in Detroit, the vibrant theater scene here. Uh, has to be front and center. Uh, we were just debating whether it's still true that outside of Broadway, we used to have the highest concentration of live theater uh, of anywhere in the United States. Now, some think a couple of venues have closed, others have opened elsewhere, but it's still uh, a- an exciting place to see a show, and none more exciting than what's happening at the Fisher Broadway in Detroit announcing its subscription season. We're happy to welcome in Jamie Budget, general manager of Broadway in Detroit. Jamie, hello. Hi, thanks very much for having me. So, I mean, it, it's the, the, the list is really, really fun. Let's mm. start with Moulin Rouge, which for anybody that's familiar with the Baz Luhrmann film, it is just a feast for the eyes and the ears. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, uh, the uh, Broadway show doesn't, uh, certainly doesn't disappoint. I think as well, this is probably <clears throat> one of the shows which uh, a lot of people have been waiting for for a while. Like, it's been out on the road now uh, at least a couple of years and um we're sort of finally able to bring it here we were slightly delayed just with how the show sort of moved coming out of covid and the rest and so uh mm-hmm. certainly when we announced it's yesterday, a huge production it's ma- yeah. it's massive and it's going to be an absolute spectacle with all of the the razzle dazzle that you can expect for sure so that's why that one is at the Opera House, but then the mm. other six are going to be at the Fisher? Yeah, all, all other six will be here, right here at, uh, in the Fisher Building, uh, in the Fisher Theatre, of course. And um, I think also what's, uh, what's amazing about this season is we have uh, six Detroit premieres and then one revival that actually hasn't been here since 1974, which is The Wiz, oh, yeah. oh, that's cool. uh, which actually opened here. Yeah, well, Michael wow. Jackson, a kind of a recurring theme here. It, it is yeah. slightly not not you know entirely deliberate, but uh, it, it, we we'll we'll call it a call it a theme for sure. So MJ uh, is coming as well, and it's it's really centered around uh, making of the 1992 Dangerous World tour. So that's amazing, that's cool. and I'm sure that the uh, dancing, the choreography has to be amazing as well. Oh yeah, this show is uh, absolutely incredible, and I think you know it. It's more than your just sort of jukebox musical, right? Where it's not—it's more than just Michael Jackson music. And no, Michael you're Jackson a fly dancing. on the wall at the rehearsals. Exactly. It's such a—it's—it's it's a real kind of insight into the creative mind and creative process of this artist, yeah. his life. Like it's—it's—it's it, it, a great—it's a great show, but obviously with all of the incredible music and dancing <laughs> a, to go with it, well, which, which know, is fantastic. The yeah. Motown touchstone here is is huge, and there is a segment where it's a flashback, and there's some amazing young uh, performers. That's exactly that, that, right. That bring yeah. that the, 70s. The whole Jackson 5 Motown deal. thing back to life. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it's an amazing show. We're, we're super, super excited to bring it here for sure. Speaking of your process, mm. how do you guys choose the shows i mean do you sit down at a table do you make calls how does how do you get these seven seven right shows yeah so i mean 
you know, fundamentally, our our kind of mission, if you will, is to bring the best of Broadway to Detroit. And so we're always you're you're looking at what's out there, what tours are being created. We we are loosely booking shows right now all the way through 2026 that's kind of how far out you're planning and now listen sometimes those tours may not actually come to fruition and other times you know things move around but when we're putting together the season it's trying to find a balance of shows and actually i think um this is done really well here where you have you know some of these classic stories like Moulin Rouge that everyone knows. The Wiz that, of course, is a cult classic film as well. And then these lesser well-known shows like A Kimberly Akimbo, which won the best new musical uh, at the Tony Awards on Broadway this year. It's, 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 It's an incredible story and something that the majority of people hopefully in Detroit won't have seen unless they had caught it on Broadway in New York. Well, then you've also got a revival of a show that dates back to 1935. Yeah. I mean, Parade. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, and I'm, I wasn't even familiar with the, uh, you know, you, you hear some of the Gershwin stuff from back mm. in those days, but this isn't one of those shows. Tell me about it. No, so this is, uh, this is a, um, a show based on the story of someone called Leo Frank. And not to give too much away, basically he was um, a, a Jewish man a- accused of a... Uh, a pretty horrendous crime, and it sort of follows the story of the fallout of that. But really, what it is is it, it's a it's a commentary on um, uh, prejudice and anti-Semitism and hate and racism, um, and uh, it touches on some very um, important themes, if you will. But um, done in in this amazing way with incredible music, it's it's. Yeah, it, it, it's in, in, and this certainly this production is an, an amazing revival of uh, what is a, a very old musical. Poignant so, then and poignant now. And yeah. some like it hot coming as well. Yeah, so a, again, this is you know a uh, a kind of reimagined uh, telling of the classic yes. movie. Um, uh, d- again, this is more sort of in its what I would call slightly old school. Um, uh, musical themes it's jazz it's the tap dancing you know oh, yeah. it feels like more you know you, you, what you would call the traditional broadway mm-hmm. theater if you will but mm-hmm. with this really great fresh perspective to it the music is fantastic i think they won a grammy award actually mm-hmm. um uh, and it, it, it's just great great fun great I, fun i uh i know the the folks that saw beautiful the carol king story mm. loved it yeah. and we've seen you called it the jukebox musicals we've seen a lot of those revivals the one with billy joel cindy lopper you've got one uh the guy that was writing songs just down the hall from carol king in the real building is neil diamond and yeah. you've got beautiful noise coming in yeah we've got that coming over christmas which uh we're very excited about and actually you know, i think this is can we shout out so good so good well, during sweet caroline yeah i think i think <laughs> I, I don't know how people so won't be good. able to <laughs> right <laughs> Um, yeah, no, again, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a great piece that is a real insight into the life of, uh, 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 of Neil Diamond. And actually, I've got to say, when I, when I saw it, you forget just how many hits Song. he had, yeah. right? And it's the same mm. with the Carol King musical. Just hit after hit after hit, and you're like, wow, that was Neil Diamond as well. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a brilliant piece. You really get to learn about uh, his life, and of course, how can you not... Uh, Enjoy Sweet Caroline. 
Uh, yes, and hopefully it's a group sing-along at the end like yeah. they did with beautiful music. I mean, uh, with, with beautiful. Uh, very quickly, how do people get tickets? Uh, so right now we are in our renewal period. So current subscribers, we have about 12,500 subscribers who are able to renew now. And then uh, new subscription sales will go on sale on the 1st of April. So the best way for people to be alerted is to sign up at broadwayindetroit.com and then we'll hear more. And we should point out that Fisher has undergone some great upgrades. Yeah, absolutely. We've um uh we've done some uh some facelifts to the front of house, new bar mm-hmm. spaces, new lounge spaces. It's uh You had me at bar spaces. There you I, go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, Jamie Budget, thanks so much. The general manager at Broadway in Detroit, Moulin Rouge, Some Like It Hot, MJ, the Michael Jackson musical of Beautiful Noise, Parade, Kimberly Akimbo, and the Wiz. Um, an amazing lineup, yeah. Lineup. Uh when we come back with the death of Alexei Navalny. Heightening concerns for Paul Whelan. We'll talk to his brother next. We're trying to connect uh, with David Whelan right now. Uh, obviously, increasing uh, concern about uh, his brother over there. And we're going to get to that as soon as we can make that connection. Headline in the Wall Street Journal and see if this doesn't ring true with you. The lifespan of large appliances is shrinking. Refrigerators, washing machines, ovens, they, they detail in this that uh, they have increased in price and they have just absolutely tanked in terms of reliability. It'll cost more and what, the, the, the parts don't, ha- don't Have stay. you experienced yeah. this? I don't think my grandma ever changed her washer and dryer no. after she bought it. I've had several of those front-loading washers. They break. Mm-hmm. I need to get yeah. a new one. You don't have several not repairs. My, my, my son is on his third Samsung Super Fridge. You know, they, they, wow. I think they pack way too much into these things, kind of like our cars, and then they have breakdowns. Uh, another time, we'll have to discuss that at a larger, um, in a larger way. It was on Friday that we were actually talking to our Fox News uh, foreign correspondent Jonathan Savage when the news began flashing everywhere that Alexei Navalny had somehow died uh, while in captivity and uh, at, at, a, at a, a prison near the Arctic Circle. And we focused, as we should have, on the loss of this very brave freedom fighter within Putin's Russia. Uh, but instantly your thoughts go to the other man who is a hostage of the Putin regime, and that's uh, Novak's Paul Whelan. David Whelan is his brother and joins us live. David, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I can't imagine what it must have been like for you when you heard of Navalny's death. What went through your mind? I was very sad. I think he is uh, obviously a notable uh, opponent of the uh, the Putin regime, of President Putin and the Kremlin. Um, and unfortunately, his death and most likely his murder um, is an example of the kind of threat that people in Russia, both in the prisons and outside the prisons, have to exist with every day. And it's a constant concern that we've had about Paul since back in 2018 when he was first detained, uh, that that sort of thing could happen to him, perhaps not with the same intention as the Kremlin has done with Navalny, but uh, um, even just through uh, indirect negligence that uh, they could kill him. Well, you don't have to be an an opponent necessarily. You can just be an inconvenience to to Putin. Absolutely. David, um, with the Biden administration condemning uh, Putin's regime for Navalny's death, uh, what are you hoping will be the international response uh, to hold Russia accountable for its treatment of Navalny and, and your brother? 
Well, I think it's very difficult. I think certainly in my brother's case, we've seen that there are limited um, options for countries who want to impact the Kremlin's behavior. Uh, it's sort of like going up to someone's house and saying, I want to buy your house. If the person isn't willing to sell it or doesn't want to sell it for the price that you um, are offering, then uh, then you're sort of stuck. And I think that that's where we are, certainly with Paul's case, um, that uh, the Kremlin is, at this point at least, not willing to uh, make a an arrangement that would allow Paul to come home. Do you think these sanctions uh, that are expected tomorrow will make it more difficult for your brother to I don't think they'll have – no, I, I, I'm sorry to over-talk you. I, I don't oh. think that they'll have any impact. Um, the, the sanctions in general are focused uh, mostly on individuals, and I don't think that those individuals um, are either that bothered by the sanctions, nor are they the people who actually would uh, – be involved in the decision making around uh, Paul's release. So, unfortunately, they may have other impacts, but I don't think they'll have any impact on Paul's case. I think what's sad are, are just milestones that pass as your brother continues to spend time in prison, five years, and now your birthday, you twin brothers, your birthday coming up again. But you, in the article, at least in the Oakland Press, his spirits are up recently. I think they really bottomed out, and so uh, they are up um, it, relatively. <laughs> Speaking, when right. he hit the five-year mark in December, it was really, really hard. I think he, he used the words abandoned. He, he felt very much uh, like he was really never going to come home. And I think what we're seeing with uh, Mr. Navalny's case is that um, there is a decent chance that if you are in a Russian prison, you don't get, ever get to go home. Um, so we will continue to hope that in uh, 11 years from now that he will be home. Um, but his, 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 uh, his spirits have, have raised a little bit. Um, we are continuing to try and support him. He has a broken tooth now, and there's no longer medical care at the prison. Um, so we are trying to find a dentist. They're about two hours away and to have him go and, and look at Paul's tooth. Um, but, you, you know, he's, he's doing the best he can. He's surviving, and I think he's done a remarkable job to have survived uh, uh, until, until his 54th birthday, and hopefully for many more from, that, from there. I know that there are international groups, um, human rights organizations that try to monitor what's happening in some of these foreign prisons. And in Navalny's case, I think this was so remote that maybe the capacity for oversight and watchdogging was somewhat limited. But uh, do they provide some assurances and some checks and balances against what may be neglect? No. Uh Russian uh, group, uh, groups like those uh, non-government organizations outside of Russia don't really have any insight into what's going on in Russian prisons, as far as I can tell. And as we saw in Mr. Navalny's case, um, the prison monitor, the Russian prison monitor, said that well, he hadn't complained, and so what, you know, <laughs> what are they going to do? And and we've seen that with Paul when Paul was uh, attacked in uh, November, um, we actually made a complaint uh, to the prison monitor, but they came out in the press saying, oh, we haven't had any complaints from. From the prisoners, so things must be fine. And I think that that's really the, the case is that the prison monitoring system in Russia is uh, controlled by the Kremlin um, and isn't going to ever expose the uh, human rights abuses that are going on. Dave, how can people who want to help your brother and raise awareness uh, about his case kind of contribute to your efforts and the, the broader movement for justice and human rights? You know, there are two things, and one's, one's really easy, easy and a little bit passive, and one takes a little bit more action. And, and the passive one is really just to show compassion. I think we've seen a lot of 
uh, social media, certainly I've seen it because I, I, I'm watching Paul's case all the time, where people uh, make jokes about sending someone to Russia to be a prisoner in exchange for you know, bringing Paul home or you know, not valuing the fact that an American has been freed in the past because there have been exchanges that have brought Americans home. I think having some compassion for those people who are being held hostage would really go a long way because it, it is a problem where we have Americans now, a, another American has been arrested this week uh, on espionage charges in Russia. Um, this is an ongoing problem, and I think if people could show a little compassion, that would go a long way for the families who are, are trying to support to support their loved ones who are taken hostage. In Paul's specific case, there is uh, the the, that, the best thing people really can do is uh, send him a letter or a postcard or uh, a birthday card or, or whatever they feel like sending. Um, the address uh, can be found at freepaulwhelan.com. It is an American address. It's at the State Department in Washington, um, and the mail then gets transferred over to Paul. And, and And the mail, I think, is one of the huge things that has really kept his morale up. That's great. Well, we will. Uh, it's when when is the birthday? March fifth. March fifth. Well, yep, we will. We'll throw that out there. FreePaulWhelan dot com, and that's W H E L A N. Correct. That's right. All right. David Whelan, he is never far from our thoughts, and we appreciate your time, and uh, we'll keep this front and center. We'll invite our listeners to think of him as well and make sure that the Biden administration knows as well that we're concerned for his well-being, especially in the wake of what happened to Navalny. I really appreciate you having me and and for keeping Paul in your thoughts. All right. David Whelan, brother of Paul Whelan, and uh, David, you have a happy birthday too. That's right. All right. Uh, when we come back, we are putting out the welcome mat in a big way. And we'll learn how the city of Detroit is going to welcome the nation to the NFL draft just ahead on JR Morning at 849. Recently, Fairmount Sign Company unveiled plans to erect five billboard style Welcome to Detroit signs and a stunning gateway sign composed of seven towering letters spelling out Detroit, the ambitious endeavor. Showcased uh, during a behind-the-scenes tour, aims at uh, warmly greeting our visitors to the city ahead of the highly anticipated NFL draft this spring. These iconic symbols represent more than just signage. They really embody Detroit's vibrant spirit and rich heritage. And let's find out more from Detroit's Chief Operating Officer, Jessica Parker, who joins us now on the JR Morning Live line. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Can you tell us a little bit more about the inspiration? Was just the draft the inspiration behind this exciting uh, uh, project to welcome visitors to Detroit with this iconic Detroit sign? Well, it's the combination, not only the draft, but we have been talking about doing gateway signage for a couple of years now and just pulling the project together and making sure we engage the community. The draft, the timing of it just happened to just fall right in place. So we just wanted to make sure that we welcome the visitors coming into the city of Detroit from the airport and then also make sure our residents was included in the process. You know, it sounds like there's a lot of craftsmanship as well involved in, in creating these signs. And, yes. and and so how how important was it to involve local talent in, to, in projects like this and, and the impact it has on the community to do that? So we had our planning and development team actually design the um, structure of the sign and making sure that it represents the Detroit brand and our Detroit colors. And then once we crafted that and the administration looked at it and approved it, we did talk to uh, the residents in the area and the community, surrounding community and businesses 
and they were excited about the sign. So they were along the process as far as making sure that where we put it and then also what the design looked like. Jessica, five smaller signs plus one big one? Yes, that is true. We have five smaller signs. Um, they'll be located off of uh, I-94 at Maross, I-75 at 8 Mile, Southfield Freeway at 8 Mile, um, and then the other one on um, Southfield Freeway just north of Ford Road, and then I-96 east of Telegraph. So most roads that lead to Rome will have one of these signs on yes. it. Huh? <laughs> All right. Exactly. Well, you know, and the other thing is, I mean, you're just not throwing up a sign. These are each individual letters that spell out Detroit, and there's some beautiful landscape involved in, as well. Absolutely. So the bigger sign with the Detroit letters will be off of I-94 eastbound between Cecil and Central. That is the only sign that will have the letters. The smaller signs will actually have like a small billboard, as you saw in the um, in the interviews yesterday. So the smaller signs won't get the actual letters. It'll just be the Welcome to Detroit billboard, smaller billboard. I will these that. remain up post-draft? Yes. These are permanent fixtures that will remain up post-draft. And there will be murals as well. Isn't that right, Jessica? Absolutely, yes. So we have um, about five murals that will be located downtown along the People Mover route. And we selected Detroit artists, and I have to give a huge shout-out to the City Walls program because they are very diligent. When we do murals, we make sure that we pull in our community and local artists and we selected five local artists to do these murals. And what they're going to do is make sure that the murals represent the city, its culture, and its history. And the on-the-clock uh, signage that's in Campus Marshes is also going to be in the neighborhoods at rec centers? So, yes, we've had pre-activation um, on-the-clock tour just to make sure that we're engaging our neighborhood. We're trying to make sure we excite them, inform them about the draft, and just saying, hey, you know, the draft is free. All you have to do is download the NFL OnePass app, register, and you get access into the footprint. Are these sports-themed murals, Jessica? And, and who will we be honoring with them? What favorites might we see? So you, you may see um, legendary Isaiah Thomas, uh, Ben Wallace, you might see um, uh, those two, two uh, history, you know, our Detroit Pistons history. And then also we are looking at um, doing Barry Sanders as one of the football legends for Detroit. And then also including the Red Wings with, um, within these murals. But I do also want to note, which is also kind of cool, we have about 40 utility boxes that we're going to paint um, of the old Detroit retired sports jerseys. So we're going to oh. take, yeah, we're going to take um, legendary uh, sports jerseys that have been retired from all of our uh, our sports teams, and then we're going to paint the transformer boxes of those jerseys, which is kind of cool. Now, once you say this, these are permanent and they're going to be up after the draft, but you know, upkeep and maintenance that's that's going to you know uh, take some take some doing as well. Absolutely, and that again is part of our city walls program. They are very. Um, on top of maintenance and making sure that the original product is stays there. And if they have to come back and clean it up and um, remove any graffiti, they do so in such a manner that hopefully, you know, you won't even notice that it was, that it was, <laughs> that was any damage done. 
I, I just love all this getting the town ready in tip top shape yeah. for all these people coming in. And I think it's going to show pretty darn well. It will. And there is one other project I wanted to let you guys know about. Um, our Decleated project. I'm not sure if you all know about this, but we have about 20 cleats, oversized cleats that are going to stand about five, five foot, three inches, and about three feet wide. And these cleats are going to be strategically placed downtown, and we'll have two of them out at the airport, and the cleats will be, uh, will be done by local artists again, and those local artists are ch- um, partnering with a ch- local charity. And they're going to cool. put, yeah, they're going to put murals on the cleats that represent the city of Detroit. Um, they represent our history, our sports teams, just celebrating us. And they're going to be the selfie moments when people come into town. They can take the selfie pictures and yeah. post them on Instagram mm. and all of that. And then after the draft, we're going to auction off the cleats and the proceeds go to the charity. Sounds like it'll Great. be a really big shoe. Yeah, <laughs> Jessica, <laughs> Jessica Parker, uh, Detroit's chief operating officer. Thank you so much for uh, being with us here on JR Morning to give us all this great news about the city of Detroit sign. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's going to be a heck of a welcome, Matt. It's oh, gonna man. Be fun. And the murals will be fun. And again, it's art and you get to see it. It, it just makes the city more. Fun. Yes. Right. Hey, we've got for something it. for you. Uh, right now, if you want to be caller number nine, one eight hundred eight five nine zero WJR, one eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven, you can win four tickets to the Michigan Golf Show coming up at the Suburban Collection Show Place, March eighth through the tenth. I will see you there on the eighth. It's a great show, and when you win those tickets, you're also qualified for our grand prize, a Tullamore Resort Stay and Play package. It's up in Mid Michigan, two great golf courses, St. Ives and Tullamore. I have, I grew up playing both of them, and they are magnificent courses. So uh, all you got to do is uh, give us a call right now and be caller number nine. For a bonus chance to qualify to win, text the keyword GOLF to 1-800-859-0957. Tomorrow, the Bed and Bread Truck Radiothon live beginning at 5 a.m. Our uh, donation hotline opens at 4 today. Make use of that. We'll see you tomorrow.